Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Great I am 
Awesome and powerful. 
There's never been a love so great. He died so we could live. Then he rose up from that grave. Name another king like this. Now all authority forever belongs to him. He reigns in victory. Name another king like this. January 1st, we kicked off this DNA series. This, this series is meant to remind us who we are as the Willard Naz, right? Everybody has a unique DNA. You have a unique calling, unique gifts, unique things that you're supposed to do. And that's true for churches as well, churches and communities, right? We partner with the other, the other churches that preach Jesus Christ. It, it's not us against them. We have a unique calling in this community and beyond that. So we want to know who are we as the church of the Nazarene, and that's what these have been about. Week one, we said we need to be the... Uh, we said that uh, we need to be the branch. It speaks to our mission, right? Uh, our position. We failed at being the vine. Christ came and he said, hey, I'm the true vine. You just get connected to me and out of that relationship, everything will flow. So we need to be connected to him. We need to be the branch. Week two, we said we need to empty the jars. Pour it all out, right? Hold nothing back. Surrender everything to him in order to be used by him. Week three, we said we need to wreck the roof. We do whatever it takes to get one person to Jesus Christ. We put that one person who doesn't know Christ ahead of everybody else in here that does know Christ, right? Because that's our priority. Week four, we said we're the messengers last week, and we are called to share the good news, the gospel. And do you remember what gospel means? It's that news of a history-changing event that that changed, that impacted all of our lives, and we have to respond to that. We have to call people to respond to that. We are messengers. Every follower of Christ is called to that. And today, we're going to talk about gripping the plow. Gripping the plow. Luke 9.57, would you stand in honor of God's word? If you're a skeptic, you want to know if it's true? Ask him to reveal it to you. Read his word. See if it is the one true living word of God. See if it speaks to your heart and challenges you and transforms you. If it doesn't, you can say it's not true, right? You seek him. You'll find him. I guarantee it. Luke 9.57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Tough words. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you call us? May we respond with yeses. Lord, soften our hearts. Speak to us directly. 
We give you all praise and thanks for sharing what you've shared with us already. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> There's a lot of discussion today on how to discern the will of God for your life. A lot of people searching for meaning and purpose. What does God want me to do? And the Bible uses some agricultural imagery to help us unlock some of that. If you study scripture, you'll find that these geographical areas are often described as fields. And God is prayed to as the Lord of the harvest. There is this theme, and the gospel is the seed that gets planted and watered. And we're called to be field workers. That's the call on our lives. The ones who plow, the ones who plant, the ones who get our hands dirty, right? That's the imagery that is used. It helps us to understand our role in what God wants us to do in this world. We need to get this field worker concept. There's a difference between working in a field and getting dirty and sweating and sitting behind a desk typing away at a computer like what I do normally during my job. My friends, God has not called us to have the mentality of the office worker, of the business professional. And what I mean by that is, is simply that he's called us to go out into the field and get our hands dirty. Get a little bit messy. We are sent out people, not sit behind the desk people, not sit in a church type people, right? If we just come to church and that's it, what good is that for our world, for our community? We're called to grip the plow. And that's the mantra that I want you to remember today as we're going through this time. Now, this grip the plow mantra is not going to be the most appealing thing right? Today, we have a more grip the remote type society. If that was the mantra, I'm sure we would be all on board with that. That would be definitely more appealing. But that cannot be us as the Willard Church of the Nazarene. We have a call to personally engage, to go out to our neighbors, right, in their times of need, for every one of us to get involved. Not sit on the sidelines, not sit where it's comfortable. Not just show up from church from time to time. We should be like, I'm a part of this family of God. I'm a part of this body of Christ. And I have a call to join in with my brothers and sisters to reach this community, to reach those who don't know Christ. You're a part of the body like a hand, like a foot, like an arm, like a mouth, like eyes, like ears. And when you're missing, when you're not a part of this, the body is not as effective. We need you. God's called you to be a part of this work. What would God do if every one of us in here said, I'm going to grip the plow. That's the call on my life. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to attend once a week, but I'm going to go out into the field and get dirty. It's easy to attend on Sunday and yet not be committed, Right? How many times have I been out and had a conversation with somebody and I start talking to them and I'm like, hey, where do you go to church? And they'll say, oh, I, I go to the Willard Naz. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Right? And I've been here 25 years. How many times do I get a phone call from somebody about a wedding or a funeral and I'm like, 
And they're like, hey, yeah, I go to the Willard Naz. That's my church. And I'm like, I have no idea who you are. Maybe those people attended at some time in the past, and maybe we were the last church that they attended. Or maybe they attended when they were kids, and it's just, hey, that's my church. Kind of scares me. Because how many people are out there, and they would say that the Willard Naz is my church, and yet they aren't on mission with this body. They aren't on board with what God is calling us to be a part of as a church. Little context in this passage that we just read. At this point, Jesus is really popular with the people. Jesus has these three prospective people that are interested in following him or at least called to follow him. They, they want to follow him, but they all have something in common that we see here, right? They want to follow him in such a way that doesn't really require anything from them, at least nothing hard for them. They, they want a no-strings-attached relationship with Jesus, close enough to get the benefits, right? Close enough to see the miracles, to experience them, close enough to be entertained by Jesus' message, to be wowed by it, inspired by it, but not know so close that they have to realign their lives and make changes to follow him, to make a commitment. So Jesus is going to speak to them and, and, and tell them, it's not the kind of relationship that he's looking for. You'll notice something about Jesus. At times when there were big crowds that were following him, he would often preach a hard message. He would give a, a hard lesson. John 6, there's this huge crowd. Jesus has fed all of them, right? And, and, and the next day comes and they don't go home and they find him and he discerns that what they're looking for is really just more free food. Where's the breakfast buffet, Jesus? That's the reason that they're there. So he tells them what? I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've been coming, but there comes a point where you need to decide, are you here to follow me? Or are you just here for the bread? He ends up giving them this really hard message, which I don't have time to go into. So hard, though, that his disciples say this in verse 60. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And at the end of that story, verse 66 says, from this time, many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. You know what struck me when I read this? He wasn't all bent out of shape about that. He didn't seem to be overly concerned that many turned away. I mean, he didn't chase after them, right? He didn't get the disciples together and say, hey, we got to get these other disciples back. We need to do something. Let's, let's throw a, a party. Let's throw an ice cream social. and Let's give some door prizes. And let's, you know, try to influence these people to come back. He didn't do any of that. He seemed okay that there were some people who went home. And that the people that were left, though, were committed to him. As a church, we want, to be, we, we want people to come and visit, right? We want to be a welcoming place. No matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, you can tell me I'm an atheist, I'm a Buddhist, 
I'm drunk right now. You know, we want to be welcoming to you people. But I don't want you to attend and stay here and be content to sit on the sidelines year after year. You're missing it, right? There comes a time when you need to step out into the field and grip the plow. I want you to make a commitment. Some of the most miserable people I know are trying to keep their foot on both sides of this line. And you just can't do it. It's miserable. Man, I hope I never water down the gospel. I hope you, you say something to me if what I say is watering down the gospel. These are hard lessons. This is a hard lesson today, right? But Jesus gave it. And we need to hear it as well. What if I say something that people don't like? Right? What if I teach something? I have times where I've gone to give a, a, a message and people have come up to me and say, hey, don't do that. But we have to be faithful to God's word. Right? How we gauge the health of the church. Have you ever thought about that? How do we gauge the health of the church? Is it a numbers thing? How many people attend? Or is it how many lives have been transformed and those people are now going out into the fields and gripping the plow? That's how we have to gauge the health of this church. We have a good, good core group doing that, and it's growing. But that's the call for each and every one of us. And something that we need to decide. Grip the plow. Well, in Luke chapter 9, we, we read this, this passage. The heading, maybe in your Bible, is, is the same as mine. It says, the cost of following Jesus. And we read about these three people, these pers- three prospective followers. They all want to follow Jesus. But Jesus tells them the cost. And we all need to hear this so that we can recognize whether or not we're making excuses like them or we're saying yes and following him. You need to decide whether or not, period, you want to follow him. First person says, I will follow you wherever you go. Wherever is a great word, right? That word had no conditions. He's not negotiating with Jesus. He's, he's pretty much set on his lordship, right? But Jesus replies to this man, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus lets them know, hey, I'm homeless, right? I'm traveling around. You need to understand that before you commit to this life, right? You're welcome to, but this is where we're sleeping tonight, out in this field. Jesus puts this man at a crossroads, just like he puts each and every one of us at one. And this man can go left and follow him, or he can go right and follow comfort. He can't follow both. He has to choose. We all come to this place in our lives where we are going to have to make that same choice, right? Between following Christ or following comfort. Between God's dream for us and the American dream for us. There will be a time when you will have to choose. And I'm guessing if you've known Christ for any amount of time, that time has already come several times. God is at work all around us. And he comes and he asks us to be a part of it. Go talk to this person. Well, this is going to make me feel uncomfortable. Text this person. Give financially to this cause, right? 
man, if I did that, I would not have money to do these other things that I really want to do. Go to the mission field. But Lord, that's going to be dangerous. I might die. We're all finishing our, our, our 21-day fast, right? And that fast trains us to be uncomfortable. It's one of the benefits of fasting. It's just that, right? There's nothing comfortable about giving up something for 21 days, solid food for 21 days. Last night and a few days before this, actually this last week, right, I've been thinking about all the things that I want to eat today. I had my breakfast planned out, omelet. I'm going to have onion, green pepper, cheese, sausage, bacon. It's going to be great, right? I even asked my wife, hey, is the sausage frozen? Because I need to be ready for this in the morning. And you know what? I woke up this morning for the first time in the last week, and I was like, I don't even want anything. So I had half a banana. I did have some coffee. This life, this Christian life, you need to understand it if you're going to follow Jesus Christ. It is about denying yourself. Jesus told his followers in Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself daily and take up his cross. Taking up a cross is uncomfortable to say the least, right? It, it is the most unappealing image that he could have described, used to describe this to the crowd. You need to deny yourself comfort. You need to deny yourself the things that you desperately want. Man, I really want a spouse. I really want this other person in my life. I really want this thing. We need to deny ourselves and focus in on him first. This man says, I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus is up front and lets him know it's not going to be comfortable. Because I think sometimes we, we sort of mean what we say when we tell Jesus these things. We can tell him we'll follow him wherever it goes. But what we really mean is, as long as you're going the same way I'm already going, then I'll follow you. But if you want me to go a different way, hmm, I don't know about that. It's like a husband and wife trying to decide where to eat dinner, right? And the wife says to the husband, hey, you pick where we're going tonight. And the husband's like, how about Mexican? And the wife's like, oh, we just had Mexican last week. How about Thai? I don't know. It's a little spicy. How about Italian? Know, it just makes me feel heavy after we get done. Sushi? Yeah, okay. You know, if you want to go there, we, we can do that. You know, it's you're picking, right? I think we all do this with Jesus. We'll do what Jesus wants to do as long as we wanted to, to do it all along. Guess what? That's usually never the case. The direction that he calls us to is usually the opposite direction that we're heading. And we come to the fork in the road. Do I follow comfort or do I follow Jesus? Right? You see this throughout the Bible? God comes to Moses. Hey, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Who am I that I should go tell Pharaoh to let his people go? I'm a nobody. I'm a shepherd. I've been hiding 40 years because I killed somebody. He's not going to listen to me. I'm not a good speaker. Excuse, excuse, excuse. The choice. Comfort. Where I'm at. 
We're following Jesus, right? Gideon, hey, take 300 men. Go against this army who is over 100,000 people. Seriously, Lord? That's what you want me to do? Joshua, go march around this impregnable city with these huge high walls. Just march around it. Noah, go build an ark. Even though you live in a desert and it hasn't rained. Seriously? Choice. God will come to you with some God-sized thing to do. And you're going to be like, really? I don't know about that. You got the choice. Keep going in comfort and say no to his will or to surrender your will, to deny yourself and follow him. And that's where it gets exciting. That's where it gets amazing. That's where you get to experience God. God always reveals himself and gives us that crossroads, right? One where we have to decide which direction we're going to go. I don't want to slip into this thing as a church, right, where we believe God wants us to do something, but we look at our finances and we say, yeah, it's just not going to work. I don't want us to be called by God to do something and and we look at the people that we currently have and we're like, no, we just don't have the right people or enough people to do this. I want to follow Christ. I want our church board to be people who follow what God is calling us to do no matter what, no matter what it looks like, no matter how uncomfortable it will be. If we truly follow Jesus, it always will mean saying no to me and what I want. Romans 12.1, Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. You're called to die. You're called to die to yourself. It's not comfortable. All right, how am I doing with the sales pitch so far? Appealing? Yeah, it's not comfortable. But it'll be the most fulfilling thing you ever do. Right? Yeah, it's not comfortable. But it'll satisfy your soul like nothing else in this world can. There is... My friends, no greater joy than saying yes and following him. You can have all those things. Comfort won't be one of them, though. A warning. If you fight for comfort, then you'll fight yourself out of God's will. Matthew 7.21 says this. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who calls himself a Christian will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. I hope that scares you. I hope that causes you to think about some things. You fight for comfort, you'll fight yourself out of this path. And I'd be worried about where that path will lead you. We have 240-some people on our attendance roll at this church. And half don't regularly make it to church. Less than half regularly make it to church. More important, what percentage is on mission with us? What percentage is willing to grip the plow to go out into the field and work? 
Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Talked about this last week, right? That doesn't seem very compassionate of Jesus to say this to this man. Let the dead bury their own dead. It's his dad, for goodness sake. Most commentators agree that what this man is really saying is when my dad dies, then I'll come and follow you. I don't know if his dad is in good health or poor health, but when he dies, maybe then he can get the inheritance. Maybe then he'll be financially better suited to follow Jesus Christ. Then it'll be a good time. He could have that security in place to do that. Once again, there's a crossroads. The first crossroads is about comfort. The second crossroads is about timing. Anytime Jesus calls you to do something and the first words out of your mouth are, first let me, that's a sign you're on the wrong path. You're headed in the wrong direction because you are putting off what God is calling you to do in order to do what you want to do. You're putting your will in front of his will. Later is not a word used in the Bible when it comes to obedience. Later I'll do that. I was listening to a testimony and the man said that he was in high school and he felt Jesus calling him to a deeper relationship. But he told God, hey, I'm in. I'm just not in right now. When I go to college, I'll I'll get serious about my faith. He gets to college and again, he has these same moments where he senses God is calling him to something deeper. And again, his answer is, yes, God, but let me graduate first. I've got a, a lot going on. And then from there on out, I'm yours. He graduates, right? And God says, what about now? Well, now it's not a great time. I just got this new job, and I need to really focus in on being financially stable. When he gets established, God reaches out to him again, and he says, well, I'm, I'm dating this girl, and we're planning our marriage, and I don't know, it's not a good time. And time and time again, that's his answer is, yes, Lord, but not right now, later. Later, when the kids are, are grown, when it gets a little less chaotic in my lifestyle. Well, the good news is this, family, this, this man eventually surrendered his life to him. The bad news was that it happened after his wife left him with the kids. He had plenty of time now to focus in on that in his AA meetings. Don't say later, my friends. When God is calling you to something, don't put it off. Often when you're at the crossroads and you're considering following Jesus, when you're considering gripping the plow, if you're like me, you think about what you're going to lose, what you're going to have to give up, and how now just isn't the right time. I can tell you, though, it will never feel like the right time. A future time will always seem better. My friends, if God is calling you right now, It is the perfect time to respond. And if you say later, you're going to be disobedient to him. You're going to miss out on what he's calling you to do because that time will never come for you. You'll just keep kicking that can down the road. If he calls you now, now's the time. 
First crossroads is comfort, second timing, third priority. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This also seems harsh, right? But Jesus says this because he loves you. In the same way, when a husband and wife stand up on their wedding day, right, and exchange vows, they make a commitment forsaking all others. We don't say that's harsh to all the other people, right? We understand that commitment that they're making. This is the same thing. Jesus loves you, and he wants you to be first in his life. He wants him to be first in your life. He wants you to make that commitment to him before anyone else, right? Jesus wants your whole heart. He wants all of you holding nothing back, right? A lot of times we give them pieces. You can have this piece, but you can't have that piece. You can have my time on Sunday mornings, but you can't have the rest of the week. You can have this bit of money, but you can't have everything that I'm calling to you. Are you committed to him? Are you going to order your life around him? Or are you going to order your life around you Maybe your family, maybe your kids. I remember Ethan wants to play AAU, right? Games are on Sunday and Saturday, and we have to tell him no. And he might think that's unloving. He wouldn't because he's smart. But sometimes we say no because we have to put Christ first. And it's far more important what we order our lives around. One of my concerns is what psychologists call the bystander effect. It's where people see the need, but there's also so many other people that see that same need that they think somebody else will do something about it. It's becoming more and more common in our culture. An example of this was a few years ago in Kansas City. There was a woman who was being assaulted right in the middle of the day in this parking lot, and 10 people witnessed it. Two people recorded it, but no one intervened. No one even called the police. Their reason was they saw all the other people who were watching and thought, well, somebody else will do something. I'm worried about us as a church that that's the mindset we have in here. Hey, can you come out and help set up tables and chairs Saturday? Well, there's a good amount of people that go to the church. I'm sure somebody will go out and help. I'm sure there'll be enough people that show up. I don't need to. Hey, can you give to this financial need? Well, I'm sure that there'll be other people who give to that financial need. How often do I come up here or somebody else comes up here and we ask for help with something? Hey, can you help with kids? Hey, can you help with teens? Hey, we need somebody to take over the van ministry. I I got a list of blanks on my ministry list just waiting to be filled by people. And week after week, nobody responds. I'm worried about that. I'm worried if, if God continues to grow our church, right, and there's more people in here, will that just make a, a bigger bystander effect? Well, look at all the people. We don't need to do that. It's one of the big draws to a mega church. You can just go. You can just go and attend, and be anonymous. 
My friends, we need you. We need you to be a part of this church and what we're doing. We're desperate for help in some areas, right? Look for those areas and respond. I'm, I'm grateful some of you guys responded with our teens and helped out. Don't let it be a one-time thing, though, right? Ask Jody, ask Aaron, hey, what can I do ongoing for these teens? Today, I want to ask yourselves these questions. Are you going to be the type of person that when God nudges you, calls you, and says, calls you, that you just say, I'm kind of scared of that. that that's going to be uncomfortable. I don't feel qualified. Send someone else, Lord. Are you going to be the person that says, yes, Lord, to that call, but later when I have more time. Are you going to be the type of person that says somebody else will give? Somebody else will serve? Look at how many people are in here. Surely you don't need me. Or are you going to be the person that says, yes, Lord, and grips the plow? God is sending us into the fields Grip the plow, my friends. My invitation to you is that if you consider this to be your church family, make a commitment to it. Get involved with something. Start something new. Whatever God is laying on your heart, whatever God calls you to, say yes, right? You're going to come to a crossroads. Say yes. If you're visiting or if you're new or if you're checking us out, take the season to check us out and make that evaluation right. You don't want to make a commitment and then regret it. But I challenge you to pray and to see if this church body is what God is calling you to be. I promise it's a great family, right? But take a season to evaluate that, to see what we're about. I'll give you that. If this church is one that you're called to, then commit to it. Commit to attend regularly. When there's a need, commit to it. Pray for the people that are around you. Reach out to them. Follow whatever God calls you to. Don't ride the middle. Don't just attend. That's not what you want for your life. I spent too many years just coming to church and not doing nothing. Would you stand with me? <clears throat> Here's my challenge. Would you pray and ask God to call you? Would you pray and God pray and ask God to make you aware of what God is already doing and call you to be a part of that, whatever that is? And will you pray for a boldness? Will you pray that you would deny yourself? And say yes to whatever he challenges you with. Commit to it. That may mean, okay, Lord, I'm going to go meet my neighbors and look for ways to serve them. That may mean I'm going to start giving. 
I'll attend church regularly. I'll have a quiet time. I'll look for a place to serve. I'll commit to reading God's word daily. I'll commit to looking into fostering a child. I'll fast and pray once a day. I'll support a missionary. I'll sponsor a child. I'll volunteer my time in this ministry. I'll start that ministry. I'll learn Haitian Creole so that we can communicate with our brothers and sisters better. They're learning English. What if we learned Haitian Creole so that we could increase our fellowship with them? Well, I don't know. That's, that'd take too much time. I'm not good at it. I'll start a Bible study with my coworkers. Would you do that? I'll commit to visiting people. I'll commit to inviting people over to my house and for dinner and fellowship, and I'll share the good news. I'll get baptized and make that public commitment that I'm following you the rest of the days of my life. I'll look at becoming a member of this church. I've got to figure out what this church is about and what they believe. I'll come to prayer night. My goodness, teens, if any one of you ever showed up to a prayer night, I would drop over in joy. Or just today, I'm going to let go of my comfort, let go of my plans. You call me and I'll follow. You're not going to be equipped for it. You're not going to feel like you're equipped for it. You're not going to feel like you're the right person for it. You're going to think of 20 people that are better for it. But God's calling you. And if he calls you, he knows you. He created you. He specifically fashioned you. You are his workmanship. And if he's calling you and he knows the future and he knows everything, he's not making a mistake. And you'll have a decision to make. Will I trust him or will I stay in comfort zone? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the call that you're putting on our lives. Lord, I pray that you would reach out to each and every one of these people. Teens, children, young people, old people. Call them to something, Lord. And may we be not too busy to hear you. May we not ignore you. May we answer that call with a yes, no matter how uncomfortable it seems, no matter how busy we are. May we adjust our lives around that call. And Father, would you give those people who do peace, boldness, would you grow their faith? Would you be all over their lives? Would you enable them? Would you gift them, Lord? to do whatever you called them to. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.